Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. All right, let's get this party started. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, right here back on your national radio airwaves for the next hour. And we've got one of the most exciting shows in the 81-episode history of Sorallo Sports Talk coming at you. Asante Samuel Jr., the stud young cornerback for your Los Angeles Chargers, is joining the show momentarily. He'll be on in the next Segment. I know. I know. I usually save the guests for last. I like to save the best for last. Have my whole life. But I'm so damn excited to have Asante Samuel on the show. He'll be joining us in the next segment. We've got so much to get to. He plays for arguably the most talented team, the team with the most talented roster, you can make the argument, in the National Football League. The LA Chargers, that Thursday night thriller they're coming off. Crazy to think it's already been almost a week since that game in Kansas City was played. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Justin Herbert being that dude, the leadership factor he has, and that much improved defense. I mean, that is one of the scariest secondaries in the National Football League. The addition of J.C. Jackson, of course, Derwin James, one of the best safeties in the game. I can't wait for Asante to join the show. Let's talk about that Thursday night game, though, as we kick things off here. You know, I I promised you we're going to get to... Tua and that wild historic comeback by the Miami Dolphins. We're going to talk a little Buffalo Bills. They're the Dolphins' next opponent. But let's talk Thursday Night Football Week 2, the first ever, by the way, NFL game on Amazon Prime. And, you know, I'll admit, I didn't really listen to the commentary. I was out. I caught the game at a bar. But I will say, Amazon killed it with the picture quality. I mean, the cameras that they had working, that was better, in my opinion, than anything that you see watching the NFL on Sunday. The different angles, the picture, it was crisp, it was clear, it was perfect, replays, stats. Uh, I mean, the graphics were just incredible. Amazon killed it with that week two premiere, that week two debut of Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. But let's talk about the game, because I don't care who won, who lost. Justin Herbert showed us something incredible on Thursday Night Football. Now, I went on Friday evening with George Reitster, did a guest spot on his terrific program on SiriusXM. Great full circle moment for me. That's that channel. He's on Mad Dog Radio. That's the channel that I interned for the summer going into my senior year of college at St. Bonaventure, uh, summer of 2019. You know, interning in Manhattan, thinking I was the the coolest cat in the neighborhood. It was incredible. A lot of great memories working for Adam Shine, Mad Dog Russo, all the great producers and staff over there. Love those people. So great full circle moment being a guest on George's show last Friday evening. But he asked me an interesting question. He asked me who I thought the best quarterback in that game was. And that really made me think because Patrick Mahomes, make no mistake about it, is the best quarterback in the National Football League. Patrick Mahomes is going to continue, in my opinion, to be the best quarterback in football 
until someone takes him down and proves that he isn't. Now, look, I know Joe Burrow took him down last year in the AFC Championship game. I love Joe Cool. Some people don't have Joe Cool as a top 10 quarterback. I think Joe Burrow is a top 10 quarterback in this league. I think his offensive line needs to get their damn act together. But I think Joe Burrow is a top 10 quarterback in this league. Him being the guy to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, first time anyone in the AFC has done that in, what, three years, that doesn't make him the best quarterback. That doesn't make him the big dog, right? The the next guy who's chomping at the bit, the guy who's on Mahomes' tail, is obviously Josh Allen. But after Mahomes, after Allen, I, I don't think it's Rodgers. I don't think it's Brady at this point in his career, at least. It's Justin Herbert. And so while... Patrick Mahomes is going to have to be dethroned in order for me to say he's not the best quarterback in the National Football League. George asked me who the best quarterback on that field Thursday night was. And the answer to that is Justin Herbert. You know, don't forget Kansas City. I know Herbert threw that goal line pick, right? Kansas City's offense did not have as good of a night as the Chargers offense. Kansas City didn't get on the board until what, halfway through the second quarter or a third of the way through the second quarter. Justin Herbert was moving the ball. Yes, that goal line pick was killer, but he got his team to the goal line. He was moving the chains on what I think is a pretty good, a surprisingly good Kansas City defense through the first two weeks of the year. You know, it's interesting. We've seen these Steve Spagnola Chiefs-led defenses start slow and then heat up and get up to speed and start wreaking some havoc around weeks eight, week nine, week 10. This year, the Chiefs defense specifically their D-line and their front seven has really, out of the gate, been impressive as hell. But Herbert was moving the ball on this defense. And then, and this is what makes me feel like Justin Herbert was the best quarterback on the field Thursday night. With his team not entirely out of it, facing a big deficit late in the game, with God knows cracked ribs, bruised ribs, I mean, the guy took some incredible shot to the solar plexus, Herbert threads the needle twice on fourth down to lead his team to a score to keep them in the game in the final minutes. That fourth and one throw after the shot that Herbert took where quarterbacks, I mean, you simply should not still be in the game after taking a shot like that. The way he threaded the needle on that fourth and one conversion into double coverage, got the ball just above the fingertips of Sneed the Kansas City Chiefs cornerback for that fourth and one conversion and then ultimately, of course, finishing it with a fourth down touchdown. That was one of the best drives, one of the gutsiest drives I've ever seen. I mean, that was incredible. I I know it's a regular season game. That drive after taking that hit reminded me of Eli Manning in the 2012 NFC Championship game in San Francisco when Justin Smith I mean, it's a blast from the past right there, Justin Smith. Don't forget, he was one of the most ferocious pass rushers in football for, what, at least a half a decade. Justin Smith damn near separated Eli Manning's shoulder in that game. Eli Manning took so many hits. Don't forget, the the offensive line that the Giants had for their second Super Bowl run in the 2000s was nowhere near as good as the left-to-right, you know, Pro Bowl, all-pro offensive line they had for Super Bowl 42 when they took down the then unbeaten New England Patriots, right? Eli's offensive line second time around, nowhere near as good. He got the snot beaten out of him in that 2012 NFC Championship game. And Justin Smith, I mean, the hits that he he put on Eli separating his shoulder, that could have ended Eli's season, his postseason, could have ended his career, right? 
He hung in there. He made throws. Team won in overtime. Team won the Super Bowl. Rest is history. Justin Herbert should have been out of the game when he took that shot to the midsection. And he stayed in there. He hung in there, hung in the pocket, made clutch throws. That, to me, speaks volumes about Justin Herbert. We know the talent, right? We know the arm strength. We know, you know, the freak, the freakish athletic ability, the sneaky ability to run, even though he's a 6'6", huge imposing presence. Justin Herbert showed his toughness. He showed his courage. He showed that he's got that it factor. I called it on Georgia's show that dude factor, which... To me, that dude factor means he's your guy. He's your dude in the locker room. You want to play for Justin Herbert. And I'm going to ask Asante Samuel about this very shortly. Justin Herbert's the kind of guy who, when you know he's leading your team out on the field, doesn't matter if you're on offense with him or if you're on defense, you want to play for that guy. You know he's going to give you and your team 110%. He's going to leave it all out there, and you want to do the same because he's that dude, he's that leader. And to be that leader in what, year three, with this Chargers organization, this franchise that had so much continuity, had so much leadership for the better part of two decades with Philip Rivers, of course, for so long, Herbert is the guy to take this team to the next level. Rivers took him to an AFC title game, could never get over that hump. Herbert eventually, I don't know if it's this year, Herbert's eventually gonna get over that hump. And that's partially because of the ridiculous talent that he possesses, but it's also because of the leadership, the courage, and the it factor that not only makes him so special on game day, but makes his teammates want to get up and not take a single playoff. I thought that Thursday Night Football Week 2 was absolutely sensational, and Justin Herbert may have lost the game, but I think proved to everyone watching that across the country and across the world that he's that dude. We'll be back. More Charger talk. Asante Samuel Jr. is joining the show when we come back. So don't go anywhere. You're locked into Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk. And joining me for our next segment, he is the outstanding ball hawking young cornerback on your Los Angeles Chargers. It's Asante Samuel Jr. Asante, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, thanks for having me, bro. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this, man. You know, I just got off a great call a couple weeks ago with your pops. Uh, he, of course, is part of the Believe Network over here. He's got his new show, The Art of the Interception. And, you know, we're going to dive into your incredible feats on the field, of course. But I got to start there. I got to start with the special father-son relationship that, you know, has brought so many of us youngsters into sports. You and I are the same age. And uh, what's the biggest takeaway growing up playing the same position as your dad? What's the biggest thing you learned from Pops? Uh, just staying humble and um, just going out there and grinding, you know, just taking one day at a time, you know, just, um, yeah, and just staying humble. I love it. I love it. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, you, I think, are a little more humble than your dad. You hear him talk now on his show, and, uh, and he likes to let everyone know just how good he is. He's up for the Hall of Fame. What do you think about your dad's Hall of Fame chances? You think he's one of the best cornerbacks to ever do it? Oh, yeah, for sure. He should be in there. He should have been in there. He got like 51 picks, you know, that's kind of hard to do. I love it. I love it. You got the numbers ready, man. He's certainly, uh, I think he certainly is deserving. And I hope he gets the call to Canton when it's due in a few months. Let's talk about you because you're, you know, 
still embarking on a really young, successful career so far. Second round pick. I thought you should have been a first round pick, but you ended up in a great system with the Chargers. So I guess things worked out. Let's talk about this Thursday night game you're coming off of against the Chiefs. Obviously, tough loss. You know, anytime you go to Arrowhead Stadium, it's going to be a tough environment. But there's one play I want to focus on in the third quarter. Asante, I thought you had to pick. In real time, the refs thought you had to pick. What do you think, man? Did you intercept that ball in the third quarter? Uh, I felt like I did, you know. But, you know, hey, I should have caught it clean the first time. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was you had to have, like, a lot of evidence to overturn it. But I feel like they didn't have enough. But, you know, I should have caught it on the first first um, catch, and it would have not been that. Well, you know, I, I love the answer there. And, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. But I agree. I, I didn't think there was enough evidence to overturn that one either, man. It looked like you had it. When you're going up against a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, who, it, it, I mean, mistakes for him are so far and few between. Does it hurt a little extra when he finally does make a mistake and you have him? Do you look back and go, man, that, that was the one I had to have because you know it's going to be a long time before he makes another mistake? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, every pass out there is um, is important. You know, every play, every 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 inch, every yard. So, you know, you got to make the plays that come to you. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about this defense that you're a part of, because it is a very different defense than it was a season ago. You guys made a ton of offseason acquisitions. I mean, bringing in Khalil Mack has to be sensational, but other guys too, like Sebastian on the D-line, Kyle Van Noy, guy who's won a couple Super Bowls, J.C. Jackson, opposite of you in that secondary. What's been the biggest change in your defensive approach with all these newcomers on the defense this year, as opposed to what it was last year? Uh, it's kind of like the same approach, but we got a little bit more leadership, more more experience, and um, just more kind of like dog mentality. So, you know, we just kind of go out there and play hard, play fast, play physical, and just um, keep stacking the days and get better and, and be, become close as a uh, D, D unit. I love it. I love it. You speak about that leadership. What's the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing that, you know, you've absorbed, whether it's from Khalil or whether it's from JC, who obviously plays the same position as you, what's been the biggest learning experience for you with these new guys on defense? Uh, I'm just picking their brain, trying to figure out any little things, like from their pregame routine, like how do they keep their bodies fresh, just little things in that nature, and just trying to make sure I soak up everything because we have great guys. I feel like we have um, – Shit, I mean, uh, Khalil Mack should be a, a, a Hall of Famer, Joey Bosa. So we got we got some players, and I'm just trying to uh, feed off of them. What's the biggest change you've made since you've started picking their brains? Is there something in your pregame routine that's different, something with recovery in the weight room? What, what would you say your biggest change is here this year in the league? Uh, Just do me. I, uh, I feel like last year I was trying to try new things, and uh, and because I was a rookie and I didn't really know, but now I just can just do me and whatever works for me, that's what I need to do. You know, they talk about more so in football than any other professional sport. That jump from year one, your rookie season, to year two is bigger, more drastic in the NFL than any other league. What's been the biggest takeaway for you this year? I mean, you know, you mentioned that last year you were trying to maybe do too much at times, trying to emulate other people, right? Year two, is it? much easier and not that it's ever easy but is it a lot easier this year than it was a year ago for you uh yeah it's because really understanding what what i have to do on the defense 
understanding like the the scheme, just everything and that nature, and everything makes it makes the game slower and it slows it down for you if you're not thinking too much. And um, I feel like last year I was kind of thinking a lot, but you know, that's how I had to, I had to learn to, um the defense. So um, but now I feel more calm when I'm playing and just uh just calm basically. Awesome, awesome, Asante. I got to ask you about another guy on the defensive side of things with uh with the Chargers who we actually haven't talked about yet. Uh, he's not a newcomer. He's you know, one of the leaders of this team, and he got his bag this offseason, Derwin James. I mean, having him back there, this is a guy who is ridiculously talented. We all know that. He's a great leader. He's versatile, whether he's, you know, rushing the passer or dropping back into coverage. But he's battled with injuries throughout his young career. How much of a help is it to just have him on the field? How much confidence does it give you guys knowing that Derwin's out there, he's healthy, and he just seems to be doing it all on defense? Oh yeah, that's definitely uh, a level of confidence that uh, he brings to the table, and uh, he's a tremendous leader. He um, leads by example. He's gonna push you to be the best you can be, and uh, he's gonna make sure you're on top of your things. So you just gotta like he makes you bring your best foot forward every day, and uh, I appreciate him for that. Incredible, incredible. You know, he's like the quarterback of your defense. I know you've got vets, you've got you know Khalil, Joey up front, but. You know, being back in that safety position, you really do have to be like the quarterback on the defensive side of things. Let's talk about your quarterback. Justin Herbert, I thought in that Thursday night game, took one of the most crushing hits that I've ever seen a quarterback take. That shot to the ribs that he took, I don't know how he remained in the game. So for him to not only stay in the game, but then to convert a couple clutch, humongous fourth down conversions, one, you know, where he threaded the needle, and then, of course, another one for a touchdown – when a guy does that, we all know about Herbert's talent, but when he shows his toughness and his courage, how much does that make you and the rest of the guys on the team on both sides of the ball really want to show up and go to war for a guy like that? Uh, we kind of already knew, like, we already knew that. I mean, it wasn't a surprise that he got back in for nobody in the team. It's like, we kind of know what type of person Herbert is. He's a great guy, tough. Um, smart, great athlete. I mean, he has it all. And um, I mean, just going to practice with him every day. I feel like look, that that alone will make me a great player. Just being able to defend that, and just, um, I'm I'm blessed to have him as a quarterback. What kind of leader is Justin? I mean, you guys are you know a young team. You're in year two. He's in what year three? I mean, it's got to be tough when you've got vets on the roster. You know, Keenan, Austin, Khalil, Joey. It's got to be tough for Justin as a young kid in the league to come in and, and be that go-to guy, be that leader. What kind of leader is he? Uh, he's just a lead by example. He doesn't really have to say too much because his play speaks for itself. So um, he just goes out there and um, he's a competitor. So, you know, he's going to go out there and compete every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Asante, this AFC is probably the best that we've ever seen it this year. I mean, you know, you're playing in the best division in football. How excited is it? How, how exciting, rather, is it for you, you know, knowing that six times a year you're going up against Mahomes, Derek Carr, now Russell Wilson? I mean, do you feel like playing in what is by far the best division in football is going to have you guys so well prepared, you know, by the time the new year rolls around for a potential playoff run? Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like that definitely helps us in the long run, and uh, we just got to take it one game at a time. Now, Asante, you guys obviously played Thursday last week. 
when you play on a Thursday or when you play on a Monday, what do you do on Sunday? Do you watch the other games in the league or are you out and about doing uh, doing you living life? When we have a Thursday night game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, after the game, we uh we kind of recover at, right after the game and the ice tubs, massages and stuff. So we kind of like getting the week started right there. I'll probably um, watch a little bit of the game of the team that we playing and just just um get the week started on that Sunday right after the game. So if you were watching the games on Sunday, I got to ask you, before I let you go, what was your reaction to that Miami-Baltimore game? I mean, Ravens up 35-14 in the fourth quarter. Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, they come storming back. What did you think watching that comeback, man? Uh, it was a great comeback. Uh, they have a great team over there. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a great comeback. Uh, that's all it was, a great comeback. It was a great game. It was a great game, Asante. You guys played a great game Thursday. You played two great games this year. Obviously, they're not all going to go your way, but, you know, I think that this is going to be the best Chargers team maybe we've seen in my lifetime. I'm really high on you guys this year. Best of luck, Asante. Thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with my final word on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk, and what an incredible spot that just was from Asante Samuel Jr. You know, I mentioned it, obviously, briefly in the interview with him. His pops, Asante Samuel, has a great new show with us on the Believe Network, The Art of the Interception. He's a character. We've already got some back and forth going between our Believe hosts, Asante Samuel, LeGarrette Blunt, some differing views on Bilicek and Brady and what's going on with their former team with the New England Patriots. I love the drama. Both incredible players. I mean, Asante Samuel was for, you know, the entirety of, of the 2000s and the early 2010s, one of the best cornerbacks in the game any given year. Could have been the best cornerback in the NFL. Then you got LeGarrette Blunt, three-time Super Bowl champ, two with the Pats, one with the Eagles against the Pats. I mean, I love LeGarrette. I love Asante. I love Asante Jr. And that incredible spot right there on Serralo Sports Talk. But let's dive in to some other teams because I've spent a lot of time talking about the Chargers you know, we talked about the Chiefs a little bit, Asante with incredible insight on the rest of his team, on Derwin James, on Justin Herbert. But I want to take things from the AFC West and as promised, talk about some teams from the AFC East. Because the Miami Dolphins, as incredible as that Thursday night week two game was between the Chargers, between the Chiefs, the Miami Dolphins made history on Sunday at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. The first team since 2006 to be trailing by 21 points going into the fourth quarter and emerge victorious. That ridiculous 28-3, we all know that's a popular number in the NFL, 28-3 fourth quarter, uh, they outscored the Baltimore Ravens by 42-38 final. And, you know, for all the praise... And all the talk about Justin Herbert, who, you know, I firmly believe should have been the pick by the Miami Dolphins back in the 2020 NFL draft. Instead, they went with Tua. Herbert fell in the Chargers' lap. But we got to give Tua credit where credit's due. Tua Tagovailoa had the game of his life, had the game of his career on Sunday. And I know it wasn't pretty for the first three quarters. Found himself, found his team down 35-14 going into the fourth. Had a couple picks. We were looking at this. I know you were. I was too. We were looking at this going up. This is Tua. This is what the Dolphins get for going with Tua. 
and he came roaring back. Six touchdowns and damn near 500 yards. Look, you know, people are still criticizing Tua, saying, oh, you know, he underthrew Tyreek and Waddle on some balls and they bailed him out. We all know Tua does not have a strong arm, right? His arm is, I can't even say average in terms of our strength, arm strength. It's probably a below average arm in the NFL. But Tua Tagovailoa is absolutely off the charts when it comes to accuracy and when it comes to the way he reads defenses. And when you've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, two dynamic, playmaking, fast-as-hell wideouts, you just got to get the ball in their hands and let them do the rest. Now, look, would it help? Because Tyreek specifically, I mean, he can burn any cornerback in the league. So would it help to have a Mahomes-type arm where you can just throw the ball downfield and know Tyreek's going to have five yards on the nearest defender? Yes, obviously. But Tua, with his accuracy, has to use Tyreek in a different way than Patty Mahomes did. Hit him on slants when he creates separation. Hit him on little sluggo routes, you know, a slant and go. And Tua did just that. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, right now, two of the best receivers in football on the same team. This Miami Dolphins team is dangerous. Lamar Jackson, who I love, you know I love Lamar Jackson. He had a hell of a game. And I know they, you know, they they left points on the board. They had that fourth and goal fumble at the one on an incredible, what, 11-minute drive that, you know, spanned from the end of the first quarter to the beginning of the second, and you walk away with no points there. And yeah, you can look back on that. You can look back on a variety of plays in every single game and say, well, if Baltimore doesn't fumble there and cough it up, you know, on the on the one-yard line, Baltimore wins the game. Yeah, no duh, absolutely. But at the end of the day, they were still up 35-14, going into the fourth quarter, and they coughed it up. And that's not on Lamar not finishing, not executing on that 18-play, 74-yard, 11-minute drive in the you know end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, right? He had 35 points going into the fourth quarter. This one is on the defense. And the Baltimore defense, I'm not going to lie, I don't think that this is an overreaction to say they worry me. Because this is a defense who, you know, last year we saw that they were bruised and battered and banged up in the secondary. I mean, they were calling up practice squatters to play corner and safety late in the year. Uh, this, this is a defense that had no juice. Had one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL, by the way, Wink Martindale, who's working wonders with my Giants. The Giants are the best third down defense in football through two weeks. They're 2-0 and for the first time since God knows when. I mean, Wink Martindale absolute defensive mastermind had nothing to work with last year now the Ravens secondary we're seeing healthier than last year still a bit banged up and just getting burned again the Baltimore Ravens should never have a game where they put up 38 points and lose so anyone who's criticizing Lamar you know for that fumble on on the one early in the game you know take that argument respectfully and shove it not so respectfully I mean he's he's phenomenal one of the best quarterbacks in the game He's throwing the ball so far. I mean, his arm looks great. He put on a lot of weight. His arm is a cannon. We we always knew he had arm strength. He looks accurate. He's working with very mid-level tools, guys like Rashad Bateman, guys like Devin Duvernay. I mean, those are his top two receivers. We all know he's got the uh, terrific tight end, Mark Andrews, but he's dealing with Duvernay and Bateman on the outside, and he made them both look like studs in this game, right? The, The Ravens offense, you can't criticize it. It looked phenomenal. And oh, by the way, 
he ran for 120 yards. Lamar was <laughs> Lamar was incredible. It's not on him. It's on this Baltimore defense absolutely collapsing, allowing 28 points in the fourth quarter. And it's on Tua, Mike McDaniel, the first-year head coach, and you know his insane otherworldly wideouts in Waddle and Hill. But let's talk about Mike McDaniel for a minute because that was the ultimate test for a rookie head coach. Year one, game two, had a cupcake breeze of an opener against New England. And look, I'm not sold on New England. Yes, I picked Pittsburgh last week. I was confident in that pick. I mean, Mitch Trubisky just, you know, his last name should be a verb. He Trubisky'd it. That was a typical Mitch Trubisky game. Defense does great, holds the opposing team to 17, holds them scoreless in in the fourth quarter. I don't think the Patriots put up a point in the fourth quarter in that game. And uh, Trubisky just, you know, they had momentum. He got that touchdown to Fryermuth like two seconds into the fourth quarter and nothing. No scoring the final 14 uh, minutes, 50 plus seconds of that game. He Trubisky'd it, right? But New England's not good. I'm not buying them. So McDaniel, Dolphins, they come out roaring week one, 27, big win. They cover the three-point spread against the Pats. We all know the Pats stink in Miami, especially in September, even when they had Brady, even when that team was a well-oiled Super Bowl winning machine. The Dolphins were always kind of their kryptonite, especially early in the year. So forget about that game. No adversity. Mike McDaniel, in his second game as a head coach, on the road in Baltimore, his first away game as a head coach, took his team and led the first 21-point fourth quarter comeback in the National Football League in 16 years. That's freaking remarkable. I mean, we know that this guy, offensively, is a genius, right? Like, I always make fun of, you know, when it comes to baseball, I'm a big baseball guy, I always love to make fun of, you know, the Yale front office nerds who, you know, come in and with their analytics and their sabermetrics and they want to run a baseball team that way, right? I always love to make fun of it. McDaniel, to his credit, you know, look at the guy. He was not an NFL player. He's not a football player. He, on any given Sunday, might be the brightest guy on either sideline. He is one of those guys, those Ivy League caliber guys, who is an absolute genius. And whether or not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and dispute his playing abilities, what level he played at. I don't even know if he played in high school or not. But McDaniel sees the game just as good, if not better, than anyone. It's like McVeigh-like, really. McDaniel, McVeigh. I mean, the way that these guys see what's going on in a field and are able to just exploit the slightest mishap in an opposing defense, it was it was incredible. It was incredible. And you all know how I feel about the former Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores. He was wrongfully fired. I mean, he took that team last year, you know, to finish 9-8, and eight, to be on the cusp of making the playoffs for a second straight year. Uh, I mean, Flores just had back-to-back phenomenal seasons. In Miami, exceeded expectations all what three years that he was the head coach there. So I, I was annoyed, I was enraged about his firing. But McDaniel, I mean, it's just there's no way around it. Terrific hire, absolutely terrific hire. Uh, the way that he's working with what he has, you know, like I said, Tua has no arm strength, right? Compared to compared to the average NFL quarterback, just in terms of arm strength, below average. Arm accuracy, ninety nine point ninth percentile. And McDaniel knows that, and he has schemed this offense to fit to his strong suits. And, I mean, the Dolphins, you know, I didn't have him as a playoff team, but right now the Bengals are 0-2, the Raiders are 0-2, 
The Colts don't have a win through week two. I mean, the Miami Dolphins, at the rate that they're going, this is looking like a playoff team. And if you didn't think Baltimore was enough of a test, the team I think is going to win the AFC North, buckle up. Because the Miami Dolphins are playing the best team in football this Sunday. And I cannot wait for the Dolphins and Bills in Miami on Sunday. How about what the Buffalo Bills just did to the Tennessee Titans? My goodness. Can we talk about what the Buffalo Bills just did to the Tennessee Titans? 41-7 in embarrassment of an effort by Tennessee. On Monday Night Football, primetime, Orchard Park, Bills home opener. That game was absurd. There was a lot of talk going into that game about the Bills coming off a high, going to SoFi, opening night. Look, you all know I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl preseason. I picked the Rams to win the opener. Didn't take them plus two and a half, took a money line. Thought, you know, the Bills got to lose a game, right? Why not lose at the defending champs on opening night? Made sense. Wrong. The Buffalo Bills are looking like a team that's going to go 17-0. I mean, they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars a year ago. What was it? 9-6? They couldn't score a touchdown? And now I'm looking at this Bills team, and who the hell is going to stop them? Who is going to stop this Buffalo Bills team? I don't think Tennessee is all that in a bag of chips. I think Tennessee Titans stink, frankly. I didn't have them on the right side of the playoff picture coming into the year. I think Derrick Henry's been overused. I think that he's also the only weapon on that offense. So it's a pretty simple game plan for opposing defenses and D coordinators to prep for to stop the Titans, right? But still, 41-7, I mean, you're getting 10 points in a primetime game. Coming off a week one loss, you'd think they'd be juiced up, jazzed up, maybe give Buffalo a fight, maybe cover. I mean, the game was 7-7 early. What did Buffalo do? Oh yeah, they scored 34 unanswered. This is a team that through two weeks, forget being 2-0, there's a lot of teams that are 2-0. The New York Giants are 2-0, and I love the Giants. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna compare the Giants to the Bills. We're not gonna be stupid here. The Buffalo Bills have outscored opponents by 55 points through two weeks. It's ridiculous it's stupid it's dumb it's unheard of the buffalo bills i mean look i don't want to sit here and say 17 or no 17 or no is not going to happen but who the hell is going to beat them you look at their schedule you look at any other team in the nfl who right now on either side of the ball can match up with buffalo i mean that defense almost is almost as good as that offense they don't even have trey white the all pro cornerback one of the best cornerbacks in the nfl back yet I mean, they're playing with a banged-up secondary. Von Miller, what a difference maker he's been. The depth they have on the D-line. Josh Allen, and oh, by the way, Stephon Diggs, he's as good as any wide receiver in the National Football League. Yeah, Cooper Cup. Yeah, Justin Jefferson. I'm talking to you guys. Stephon Diggs is all that. The Buffalo Bills are all that. And I'm telling you this right now, Bills, minus five and a half. Sorry, McDaniel. Sorry, Miami. It's my play of the week. Buffalo in South Beach. We'll be right back with my final word on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. I'm Joe Sorallo. Don't go anywhere. All right, it's time for my final word right here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. Man, what a fun episode this has been. Between Asante Samuel uh, Jr., all the great football we've talked, Chargers, Chiefs, Dolphins, Bills, just the AFC. You know, despite the disappointing teams that I mentioned, you know, the Bengals, the Raiders, the Colts so far through two weeks, a lot of football left, but you know, a couple disappointments through a couple weeks. There's still been such incredible football played in the AFC by those four teams that I mentioned just, you know, about 30 seconds ago. But I want to switch and change my tune a little bit and close out this show in these next two minutes 
with a little baseball talk because my New York Mets, the New York Metropolitans are going to the playoffs. 10th time in 60 years. First time since 2016. Sixth time in my lifetime. Fourth time since I can recall because they made it when I was both one and two years old. The Mets are back in the playoffs. The Mets are on their way at 95 and 55. The Mets are on their way to the second best regular season in franchise history. Won 108 games in 86. Won 100 in 88. They're going to eclipse the 100 win mark. There's just simply no way they don't. Not just going to tie it. Going to shatter it. It's it's phenomenal. Everything that's going on in Flushing in Queens right now is off the charts. Pete Alonso. I mean, the Mets clinched their playoff spot with their Monday night win against Milwaukee. They could have easily been hung over and given Tuesday's game, yesterday's game away. And it looked like they were going to do that. They went down early for nothing. What did they do? They came back. Pete Alonso hit a three-run homer. He's going to, by the end of the year, be the Mets' single-season all-time RBI leader. Francisco Lindor comes back. Taylor Rogers, acquired at the deadline by Milwaukee, comes in, walks the bases loaded, and then Francisco Lindor hits a grand slam, puts them up 7-4. They win 7-5, never look back. That's what this team is made of. No moments too high. They're never hung over. This team is so damn special, and the job's not done. Look, as of today, they're still tied in the lost column with Atlanta for first place in the NL East. It's going to be a battle. Probably going to come down to their three games set with each other that first week to kick off the month of October, and I can't wait. Bring on the Braves, baby. The New York Mets. They're the best team in baseball, and this has been one hell of a season. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk like a Pete Alonzo Homer is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to Asante Samuel Jr. for joining the show. Thanks to all of you for tuning in every week. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.